Welcome to the Trash Cats Trashcast. I'm Richard. I'm Steven. And today, we're going to tell the story of an alleged terrorist and the development of the CIA's waterboarding and torture program, all of which was designed by a psychologist. This is a story of music used to torture prisoners and the drawings that showed the world what happened. This is a case study on why I hate our country, the United States of America. Yeah. Very excited for this one. Long time in the making. Um, our initial research stemmed from the incredibly important documentary uh, that we highly encourage you to watch. I believe it's on HBO Max currently, The Forever Prisoner uh, by Alex Gibney. It came out last year, 2021. Definitely worth the watch. And uh, we're, we, we're working off that a bit. And then we've done some additional research, and uh, this is this is heavier stuff than we normally do, but it's it's good, good stuff. Yeah. You should make a good watch on Easter Sunday coming up here. Yes, what a better yeah, sit, way. Sit, sit down with the family after church. <laughs> See, of course, to to protect ourselves a little bit, I, I do want to cut in front of this a little bit. Uh, so this is a very serious topic, and we don't want to make light of it. But also, we're idiots and we're, we're best friends. We're definitely, almost definitely going to make some jokes that, you know, to each other that may come across as crass or indecent because we're cynical and trashy like that. But it's it, it's not in any way to um, make light of the situation. Yeah. And uh, to any feds that are listening, <laughs> I, I don't like our dumb country, but it's all we got. And I like my freedom of speech. I'm mostly pretty chill. And you can check me out on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. So someone I was telling about this um, episode, they were like, man, if you weren't on a list before, you're definitely going to be on, on one now. I know. Googling I like, yeah. terrorist names over and over. But it, the feds have already had my computer. I'd say, let them. Let them look at whatever <laughs> they want. <laughs> you can see all my foot pics. Yeah. It's all yeah. good. <laughs> How was your week, man? Uh, it's been all right. Somewhat, uh, somewhat chill. Not eventful, which is good. Time's been flying by the last week, so it's been going quick lately. Gearing up for summertime. How you been? Uh, okay, highly caffeinated, but we're we did extra research, so we're recording on a Sunday today, which isn't our normal. And I, I have good chill Sunday vibes going on, so I feel like I'm a, in a good state of mind for this good. one. I feel like Sundays are are my favorite day of the week. It's like the only full off chill day, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I feel that. Uh, any honorable mentions before we get into it? I got nothing, but I know you got some. Okay. I got I got one that I, I've had written down for a long time, and I was waiting for the right episode to mention it. So this, this is the right one. Uh, this is a book called Johnny Got His Gun by Dalton Trumbo. Th- this book is essentially the story of a soldier – after the Vietnam War, who his arms and legs are both blown off by a mortar, shell, whatever, and he's blinded and deaf. And it's his story of like being trapped inside his own consciousness after the war. This, this book was very controversial at the time, and Trumbo in consequence of his writing, was essentially blacklisted as a communist. And it's just in a, a very important book. And I'd like to thank my friend Jay for letting me borrow it. Very much appreciated. And uh, we're going to read a, a short little section from it later because it really syncs up with this episode. And is that that's the same um, – so, sorry, the same soldier that uh, Metallica wrote one about, isn't it? I assume the book is influenced by real people, but I, I don't think it's based on a specific person. Okay. But sounds good. We'll go with the rumors. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then second honorable mention real quick. This is, you know, what this episode is about. Abu Zabeda, he's the alleged terrorist that we're going to be talking about today. But his art is very important to this story. And out of context... His drawings are not inherently meaningful, but they are incredibly provocative and disturbing. The story behind the art and the meaning of his drawings, the meaning that they will come to hold is something truly special. It, it almost 
reminds me of like an edgy, angry teenager's notebook mm-hmm. of like, you know, drawing different torture scenes and stuff. It it yeah. looks it reminds me of the Columbine kids notebooks. Oh yeah. For sure. It it's just so incredibly gruesome and dark. We'll explain, but it, it's so important that he made these drawings. And we're gonna take a better look at the art later and try to understand why it matters and we'll we'll share those pictures on social media and yeah. stuff later. Uh fuck, you ready to do this? Yeah, let's uh let's dive on in deep in the jungle of Thailand. A team of agents receive a communication cable from the CIA headquarters which reads quote Detainee will never be placed in a situation where he will have significant contact with others. He should remain incommunicado for the remainder of his life. End quote. It is 2001, after the fall of the Twin Towers, and the man being held by the CIA agent in Thailand is Abu Zubaydah. Man, you know they're serious when they use incommunicado. Right. <laughs> that word is never used lightly. <laughs> Just the idea of them sending these cables back and forth saying that anyone would remain never like, allowed. Oh, yeah. This man's never going to see the light of day. Ever. Yeah. It's incredible. So... Abu Zubaydah is being held by CIA agents in Thailand. When the World Trade Center was attacked on 9-11, 3,000 Americans died a gruesome death all on live television. The country changed that afternoon. America called for revenge against Osama bin Laden and his militant Islamist group Al-Qaeda. In retrospect, we all know the weapons of mass destruction that were used to grease the wheels of war never existed. George Bush's White House lied, and our military used it as justification to kill kids in a desert. And despite most of the hijackers being from Saudi Arabia, we soon went to war in Iraq and Afghanistan. The Patriot Act would soon be enacted, and nationwide surveillance of U.S. citizens would begin. As we launched bombs and drones into countries halfway across the world, our freedoms and privacies here at home began to change. In following years, we would spend an estimated 8 to $11 trillion on the wars. Fuck. While 3,000 Americans died on 9-11, we would go on to displace 39 million people in the Middle East, 900,000 of which were killed, including 7,000 of our own soldiers who died in combat. The war effort was a resounding failure. Regimes changed and power shifted, and then 20 years passed and we just left. Dude, that's what's... I, that math just... It doesn't add up. It, yeah. It's so... That's the part I think people miss a lot, like from an emotional level, from a logistic, like all these different reasons that people love the country. It makes sense that we went to these wars and we did what we had to do. But if you look at the damage that was done to us compared to what we do and did, it's so unproportional. Uh, Like I, I... often will joke about 9-11 and stuff like a lot of people do. And it's it's out of that sentiment where, like, yeah, it's horrible as fuck what happened. And I hope I don't make those jokes to somebody that was whose family was affected by it or whatever. But fuck, compared to the things that we did in response to it, it just, right. it's negligible. We killed and displaced so many people, it's just negligible. Many intelligence analysts would attribute 9-11 as a failure of intelligence, a failure of which they never intended to allow to happen again. Prior to the attacks, the CIA had valid intel on the hijackers and their intentions, but they had not yet found efficient ways to organize and manage their data and information was not shared or acted upon in time. Prior to 9-11, the CIA did not detain, torture, or hold foreign citizens even if they were terrorists. While this may be open for some debate, previously the USA had never openly sanctioned torture. While lying to the public that the torture programs never existed, the CIA began developing their own rules and programs. When asked at press conferences if these torture policies existed, the Department of Justice spokesman would adamantly say that the U.S. would never engage in torture while simultaneously saying, if we did, it's because it saves lives. No definitive proof of torture programs would surface for years. Man, that shit was so crazy. For a couple years, it was just like mixed messaging. It's yeah. it, it was like a clown show. Everyone knew what was happening, 
And they basically would say it, but they still wouldn't come out openly. It was so bad. In the meantime, the CIA and military began to target high-value al-Qaeda leaders. One of the names that kept popping up on the CIA's radar was Abu Zubaydah, the man in the jungle in Thailand. He was believed to be bin Laden's right-hand man. After being shot, he was captured by U.S. troops in a firefight in Pakistan. Initially, both FBI and the CIA took him into their joint custody, and he was brought to a safe house in Thailand for interrogation. But these interrogations were different than the years before. One of the FBI's present would later say, it was no longer about prosecution, but protection against future attacks. After the towers fell, everything was about finding the next threat. Yeah. Right? They, they you know, Machiavellian, they would go to any, any length, break any rule, whatever, to to get that extra piece of intel that they thought could save lives. And I think in a lot of ways it was done with good intentions. Right. But, but it, it was, you know, and, and they, they weren't wrong to think, you know, like this is just the beginning. Like if, if this is this is a, a not just a, a one-off for no reason, there are people that want this to happen on a bigger scale. Yeah, because the terrorists are – running a campaign of fear and they were they were operating effectively and it it's so wild that just a, a few small like relatively small violent acts could shake up the the biggest country history's ever seen so effectively right so abu had been shot multiple times and he had to be kept alive by a team of medics he had infected wounds, and one of his eyes was so infected that it turned a milky color. It was also believed this may have been in part due to reconstructive facial surgery, in which Abu had attempted to alter his appearance. That's unverified, but they thought they thought he looked very different, and initially were confused on if they even had the right person. Right. So they had taken a person they weren't even positive of, of his ID and taken him to a jungle in Thailand to interrogate before they right. were had verified it was him. The team of medics worked to keep him alive as questioning had begun. Fortunately for us, Abu was an artist. Later, his childhood diaries and notebooks would be found. Abu lived in Saudi Arabia, but he had traveled extensively, including to the U.S. while in school as a young man. His favorite music was Chris DeBoer. <laughs> he radicalized later in life after catching a stray bullet uh, and this prompted him to attempt to join Al-Qaeda, but he was denied entry. So he took it upon himself to contribute to their efforts in his own way, through business. Abu became a smuggler, he handled logistics, forged papers, and acted as an independent contractor that aided terrorists. And there is evidence that he did do some terrorist activity. Like, right. he got... Um, He's not innocent. Right, not at right. all. But... His background is is interesting because he's basically like a a young artsy Muslim college dude. Yeah, and he he travels. He likes uh, American music, and he has this tragedy where he gets shot by a straight bullet, and he quickly starts to radicalize. Abu hated the U.S. for their support of Israel, despite knowing some Al Qaeda members and supporting their goals. He was never a part of Al-Qaeda, and he certainly was not a leader or right-hand man of bin Laden. He wanted capitalism to be destroyed, but he seemed to care more about making money. (laughs) Over time, Abu distanced himself from the terrorists. In his diaries, he wrote that he found their violence to be too extreme, but it was too late. Within the early days in the Thailand safe house, Abu would become septic from his infected wounds. His eye would become permanently damaged, but he lived. The FBI found him to be fully cooperative in their questioning, but the CIA did not. Eventually, the FBI agent would leave, and the CIA would have sole jurisdiction over Abu. Despite public pressure by the American public, this is when the EIT, or Enhanced Interrogation Techniques, would begin. Enter Dr. James Mitchell. Oh, dude, I hate this guy so fucking much. (laughs) When I first watched the documentary, I was like, this is why I hate America. It is this twitchy, hillbilly piece of shit that is everything (laughs) wrong with our world. (laughs) James Elmer Mitchell 
is an American psychologist and former member of the United States Air Force. He left the military in the early 1980s to earn a master's degree in psychology at the University of Alaska. Mitchell returned to the Air Force and in 1988 became the chief of psychology at the Air Force Survival School in Spokane, Washington. Mitchell supervised trainees who role-played as enemy interrogators for military personnel going through survival, evasion, resistance, and escape training, also known as SEER training. Dr. Mitchell was hired as an outside contractor to the CIA and was not a CIA agent himself. That's super important. That yeah. He, yeah. His boss had been tasked to find someone with only two days' notice <laughs> to lead the CIA's enhanced interrogation of Abu. Fortunately for Dr. Mitchell, his wife worked in the CIA's technical department, where she was asked if she may have known anyone that was up to the task. She told them her husband, James, was a psychologist, previously published papers in analyzing the Manchester Manual, which was an, an alleged Al-Qaeda training manual. Yeah. He also had done some contracting work in which he had trained Air Force members on how to resist the interrogation. He had never interrogated anyone before, and no other candidates were considered for the job, and then no other vetting was done on Mitchell. I think part of this, the reason why they they didn't they didn't vet him so much, they weren't that interested in his background. This was just a dude that had written a couple papers about an Al-Qaeda training manual, and he had trained Air Force guys, and they're like, fuck it, sure. And I think part of the reason it w- they did that is because they weren't, they didn't really care about psychology, right? Right. Like, I don't think it was their intention to get this, like, mastermind psychologist who could mentally break their suspect. It was more like they felt the need for finding someone to help, I don't know, validate some of the things they were doing, and they're like, oh, he works. Let's take him. Yeah. And that, and they, they kind of, the timeline on it was pretty shitty too. Like they needed someone in now. two days. Yeah. Now yeah. that's so fucked. Like they didn't have any people on call for this type of shit. Like if you're going to like be torturing people during war years, you think you'd actually have your torturers lined up, right? Right. <laughs> so he was hired and told to lead the CIA, CIA's interrogations. And was immediately flown, within those two days, flown to Thailand. So Mitchell's initial role was in applied psychology and support research. But almost right away, he and an additional psychologist partner were given the lead and full control of Abu's fate. So there were a couple other psychologists that came in and out, and he did have a partner at one point. But for for our purposes... um, Dr. Mitchell's the main guy. He was the leader. He was the one designing the interrogations, and he's our focus. Right. Uh, After surviving the septic infections and despite fully cooperating, Dr. Mitchell would recommend his new torture techniques to be used on Abu. Abu had already provided many valuable identifications of terrorists to the FBI, but Dr. Mitchell believed there was more to know. Yeah, this dude is cooperating. He yeah. he is cordial to the agents interrogating him. He's giving them information. Some of it it seemed like they maybe had to kind of drag out of him, but he was he basically gave them anything they wanted. And the FBI is satisfied. They're writing reports saying he's working with them and the CIA despite believing he is, they're like, "Nope, we he's got more. We can get it from him." Mitchell recommended use of SEER counter-interrogation training, reverse-engineered, to obtain intelligence from captives. Mitchell set new rules. He began by creating a new god and a new heaven for Abu. This is where it gets dark quick. Yeah. So, Abu's room was painted stark white. Cameras were installed into the corners of the room, which they would record everything that happened in the following months. All the interrogators wore black body suits and black goggles, and they were not allowed to interact or speak with Abu. All of them except one. This interrogator was intended to become Abu's new god. Mitchell wanted to break any resistance Abu had left and created a sense of learned helplessness 
and obedience to this new god. Abu was shaved like a sheep and mostly kept naked in his cell on a concrete floor. His head would either be covered with a black hood or bright lights would be beamed into his face. The cell had air conditioner units to keep it as extremely cold as possible. He was starved. He was often chained to the floor or a chair. He was often beaten and he was kept in stress positions for days at a time. Sometimes this entailed being hung from his arms in chains, and sometimes he would be locked in a small metal box in a folded-up position. Music was used as a weapon against him. Mitchell wanted to assault him physically and psychologically chip away at his sanity. It was believed that the first music that was blasted at him may have been a red-hot chili pepper CD that one of the torturers had in his car. (laughs) A song would be played on a loop for hours or days at a time at maximum volume with a speaker system near his head. Fuck, dude. I have a real soft spot for the Chili Peppers, right? Oh, I don't. I feel like that's, I mean, if I got to listen to the Chili Peppers straight in a row for an hour, that alone's torture. See, not even the same song. My my cool cousins, right? The cool cousins show Uh you. They they turned me on the Chili Peppers when I was little. I think they have a lot of great songs, but. They have a lot of trash, too, but I cannot imagine listening to it for hours, especially at that kind of volume. And the idea, like, just the idea of being tortured with music like that is barbaric as fuck. Yeah. I was thinking about this. I think of bad music (laughs) as a form of violence. When I walk into a store during the Christmas season and they're playing some (laughs) Christmas, they are enacting violence upon me. And the idea of... Of it being blasted at your fucking face. I can't imagine how fucking insane that must feel. I don't care how good Mariah Carey's Christmas <laughs> song is. If I have to hear it three, four times a day, someone's going to get hurt. Yeah, that'll make me psychotic quick. <laughs> Ultimately, this black site did not use music for torture long. As they could hear the music, even from their own private punks, it started to drive the torturers crazy. This was the first time this was really been implemented, and because everything wasn't soundproofed and shit, they they had to stop using music because it drove them crazy, and they later switched to the white noise machines. Later on, we would find out that many musicians had their music used as a form of torture by the U.S. government. These artists supposedly include... Eminem, Metallica, Rage Against the Machine, Deicide, and it's my favorite fucking song, but Deicide has a song called Fuck Your God. Yep. And that song is so fucking evil. Like, to play yeah. that to, like, I don't know, a Muslim extremist in a set. Like, that's pretty fucked. That's pretty brutal. Yeah. Uh, Queen, David Gray, even the Barney theme song was supposedly used. Possibly, and most famously of all, is a band very dear to my heart, the band Skinny Puppy. (laughs) This is an article by The Guardian. A Canadian electro-industrial band is asking for thousands of dollars in royalties after learning that the U.S. military used their music to torture prisoners at Guantanamo Bay. Skinny Puppy claimed they filed a (laughs) $666,000 bill with the America's Defense Department. Quote, we sent them an invoice for our musical services, considering that they had gone ahead and used our music without our knowledge and used it as an actual weapon against somebody, uh, says keyboard keyboardist Kevin K. I don't, it starts with a C, so it's either Kevin <laughs> or Seven. He recently told uh, CTV News, I am not only against the fact that they're using our music to inflict damage on somebody else, but they are doing it without anybody's permission. Skinny Puppy first learned about the alleged use of the music from a former Guantanamo Bay guard who was offended by the detention camp's practices. Although the Vancouver-born band originally planned to use (laughs) their new album cover as an invoice for the Pentagon, they have now received coaching and apparently set an actual physical document to government officials. I fucking love that. They were going to make the album cover... The request, like a bill to the U.S. government. Yeah. That's, that's so great. fucking brilliant. I, I remember hearing rumors that Skinny Puppy actually won the lawsuit and donated the money to charity, but I can't find anything on that, so I can neither confirm nor deny. But anyone who knows about Skinny Puppy, part of their origin is like 
against animal testing and like animal abuse shit. Like they're a very, um, uh, I don't know. They have a strong sense of morality and they're the perfect band to have their music torturing someone because their shit is so abrasive and harsh and they're the perfect band to try to attack the government for doing that. It just, yeah, it's, uh, it's wild. I also would like to point out, I, I was talking to a coworker about this episode before we recorded and um, they, I told him about the music part and I said, you know, they were, they used the, the Barney theme song, which, uh, you know, we, we had a laugh at because that means, you know, like they consider that to be torture. You think like all like the kids shows and shit like that, that they parents in general just have to listen to on a regular basis. God. Like it's just torture. Like you're just describing being the life of a parent, you know, being in the life of someone with kids. Yeah. A child, you have to hear this shit over and over and over and over again. A child is a, a lifelong sentence. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully they grow out of Barney at some point, but <laughs> you never know. So between the lights and the music, Abu was forced to stay awake. He was sleep deprived for 24 to 72 hours at a time. As weeks passed, Abu ran out of any information to give his captors and Intel came to a halt. But Dr. Mitchell would not relent. He had to up the ante. This is when the waterboarding began. So, waterboarding is kind of an art in and of itself. The goal is to simulate drowning by pouring water on the captive's face, which is covered with a rag. The captive inhales the water and begins drowning. The water is poured right up until the victim is as close to drowning as possible, right on the edge of death. The torturers pause just long enough for the victim to catch one, maybe two breaths of air before resuming the pouring. Which, you know, and, and we see we saw that a lot in the research of the simulate drowning, but in reality, you're drowning someone. Right. Have There's you, no simulation about it. You're drowning someone. Have you ever been waterboarded? No. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I, how, many, how many times have you been waterboarded? Like one time, but I had... To, and it was by someone that you cared about, wasn't it? Yeah, me and somebody else had to try it out because we're like... We kind of doubted because at the time there was all this stuff like it isn't as serious as um, it's, you know, people are pretending and the government's trying to say this is like an ethical form of torture. And I remember right, right. me and a buddy are like, I don't know that this seems like, you know, pretty fucking bad. This that, seems pretty bad. We should try it. Yeah. It, and it is every bit as bad as anyone you know, like we did it in a a playful sense, right? And it still is absolutely insane. Like the idea that anyone and you've been in a coma ever since. <laughs> and this podcast is all in your mind. It's all underwater now. <laughs> <laughs> all under the bridge. <laughs> On at least one occasion, the interrogators had gone too far. Water baiting. Water baiting. I'm water baiting all over. <laughs> when you masturbate with water that's when you masturbate while you're getting waterboarded you know, a <laughs> little, 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 little more extreme than the belt around the neck but you know <laughs> on at least one occasion <laughs> god damn it <laughs> on at least one occasion the interrogators had gone too far waterboarding may be an art but it is not a perfect one abu fully drowned while strapped to a gurney and nearly died and the interrogators fought to resuscitate him after that day, Abu became totally compliant. He no longer resisted them in his torture. He learned to respond to snaps and claps like a trained dog to assist them in his drowning each day. He learned helplessness. Dude, that... I feel... Like, I feel the sadness. Just hearing, reading, seeing... The responding to snaps like a trained dog. That is yeah. so fucking brutal. That's that's what we do behind closed doors. It's so fucked. It's extremely dehumanizing. And actually, the you know when you look at um, you know uh, ideas of torture, like the entire purpose is um, that dehumanization or, yeah. or depersonalization that um, you know make you you're mentally not there anymore. You're checked out, and. That's that's like a whole thing. I was looking up what's called white torture, and it's like where they don't—they're not hitting you and like physically hurting you, but it's the 
the stuff with the um you know the all white room and like yeah. uh they wear like silent you know they wear like buffers on their shoes so you don't hear you don't even hear people walking and like all the surfaces are smooth so you can't like really feel anything and you know even like, the food that you eat is like white it's, oh, it's all God. like just to completely desensitize you and it's really fucked up that it but it breaks down your brain like that it's like snow blindness almost, yeah but with all your senses it's man I, I just feel you know hell is paved with good intentions type of thing like the they are torturing this man in attempt to save lives right and it it turns into drowning and training another human being like a dog it doesn't matter that the intentions were good it's so out of control so so fucked i i i cannot i can't imagine i i just can't imagine doing someone something like that like i can imagine taking revenge on people in extreme ways but i can't imagine I can't imagine that. I don't know. Yeah. I bet when he drowned, the interrogators, I bet it was a complete panic, right? Because oh yeah, it's not like they don't, it's not like they care about him dying because they care about him. But I can only imagine they are in an intense panic to get this man to breathe again because they know if he dies that they are going to all of a sudden have a lot of potential repercussions. The right. videos are going to be released. Up, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they fucked up. They could have lost intel, all these things. So they are desperate to get him <laughs> to breathe again. So at, at this point, you know, he lives and the torture methods and waterboarding are being performed constantly. At one point, Abu was waterboarded extensively for 17 days straight. As they realized there was not much of anything to gain by continuing, they just got lazy. And they would just put him in this metal coffin. He would lie in the metal coffin for days at a time, laying in his own defecation. And his old wounds would just reinfect. Uh, There was no more intel left to gain from Abu. His torturers found it to be a waste of time because his mind was shattered. Yeah. Dude, what... Just seeing what those coffins were like and the diet, that shit, oh my god. The idea of just laying in your own shit and piss for days because they're too lazy to even, <laughs> it's just so fucked. Yeah, they they got, they the interrogators were, were, you know, breaking at that point because they're like, yeah, the fuck are we even doing? But the CIA's like, Pushing. keep doing it. Yeah, continue, yeah. continue. Mitchell's got the reins and he is not willing to give up or risk any more Americans or patriots losing their lives. So, you know, he's he's pushing the interrogators and they're at the point where they're just leaving him in locked coffins. The other what the the boxes where he was in a folded position locked in a box. That I can't, that's so fucked. Yeah. Fucked. Yeah. It's 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 real fucked. So, and then Part of it, which makes us also fucked and hypocritical, is that the U.S. had been the ones to push the anti-torture legislation through the U.N. Right. Regardless, George Bush would declare that terrorism-related matters are immune from the Geneva Convention. Keep in mind, the Department of Justice had never agreed or never given uh, written confirmation. They had verbally agreed to give Mitchell and the torturers full immunity. Because this was never made official, George Bush's own personal lawyer was the one who made the promises. God damn. Yeah, if the president's personal lawyer is giving you assurances instead of the DOJ, you know it's bad. Yeah. Like, that's wild. It, it, so, like, I, we're into 2002, right? This The towers fell in 2001. Abu is captured and being tortured during 2002, right? Yeah. So, it, it's only been a few short years. And without any true legal justification... Torture had officially became sanctioned U.S. policy. Yeah. It wasn't like... Months, really. It's not even... Yeah. Yeah. 
it wasn't like openly on the books, like this is what we do in these scenarios. We are willing to do this. It was more, it was more just accepted that this is what we would do and we are going to try to hide it for as long as possible. Without any intel to give, Abu was just left in isolation. For more than a month, he was just 100% isolated. They didn't bother questioning him anymore. As public pressure mounted over suspicions of torture during the wars, the politicians scrambled to get full legal codified approval and immunity for future liability so they could continue without risk. Dick Cheney and his lawyers, among many others, were very vocal in the push for unlimited torture. For years, this was just a popular Republican talking point. Yeah. There was this, it was so, because we were like in high school at this time, like uh, late grade yeah, school. Not even, yeah, yeah, middle, middle school-ish years, yeah. And it was just like public, you know, half the country believed, you know, fuck and kill all terrorists. Like, they deserve to be tortured. They're pieces of shit. Like, that was <laughs> the oh, yeah, country's absolutely. vibe. So crazy. And it's all <laughs> Republican, God-fearing men and women and Christians are the ones that are, like, the most amped up to go torture some people from across the world. Right. And then the, the torture memos went public. Yeah. So private internal communications and memos between White House officials were leaked to the press in which <laughs> the full extent of the torture would be made clear and the politicians lost their deniability. CIA leaders could not fake ignorance as they had been sent and reviewed montages of the videotaped torture footage. So the CIA protested by claiming their techniques did not meet the true definition of torture because, quote, they did not do any lasting or permanent harm or damage. Which is laughable. Yeah. Absolutely laughable. And they're caught red-handed, right? Yeah. They've been denying this publicly for months, years. And then these memos are made public that show the White House, the CIA, top government officials communicating about the torture happening while they're denying it to the public. And it's yeah. absurd. For Dr. Mitchell's efforts, the CIA paid him $1,800 a day to torture people. <laughs> In the end, he was the designer of the techniques used on Abu, the leader of the other interrogators, and was present for nearly every cruel action taken on his behalf. Ultimately, the program was deemed a success because <laughs> they, quote, proved Abu did not have any more intel. Despite his cooperating and despite that he had created multiple fake plots just to temporarily stop their abuses. Dr. Mitchell's techniques would go on to become standard practice at all CIA black sites. And Dr. Mitchell was contracted to be paid $180 million more to train eight other black sites around the world to implement his EIT techniques. God damn, that's so much fucking money to, yeah. to create <laughs> cruel ways to abuse people. Yeah. I think you mentioned, so he was contracted for $180 million. He got paid, what, eight? It was It was $81 million by the time that the CIA ended the contract. Gotcha. That's still a vast sum it, it, of money. Yeah, ridiculous money to be torturing people. Man. Absolutely. And, and they had like a, a stipend of money. Uh, it's like I think it was five million dollars or something, so that they didn't, you know, if they encountered any kind of legal problems, that wow, that was all from the CIA. Yeah, and this also continued by the the military, the soldiers in the war of Afghanistan and Iraq, as well as at Guantanamo Bay and likely other prisons as well. I actually I have a little a little note here. So I <laughs> this is wild and. A lot of people in in the place I was at were liars, but I I know two people, but I know one person I was in I was in the inpatient rehab with for a year, and his whole thing was he was a PTSD guy, right? He was in Iraq and supposedly he was just an interrogator. And he I think while we were there together he tried to kill himself five times, real attempts, and he would overdose. Somebody would find him and bring him back. And this dude was just like fucked, full trauma. Like he would, 
there were times where he just like could not stop sobbing because of the things he did to other people in the desert. Jesus. Dude, I mean, he, he would not tell many people or much of the stories, but it seemed it seemed to be very confirmed like that's that's what he did over there and when he spoke about it i i believed he was authentic because of i don't know just how much emotion was involved and you could tell like he was a different he was a different person before he did those things and by the time he came back he could not handle the things he had done and he he know you know most of the soldiers i've known which has been like two or three people that were pretty close to me for a while they went into the wars fully believing in what they were doing their mission um the countries the our country the freedom that they were fighting for and by the time they came back after killing people they hated they hated everything they did over there they hated who they become and what was done to them over there too i I, i've never had one person i know come back that was relatively okay at all yeah it's so sad so sad especially you know like we said good intentions right but it doesn't matter it doesn't matter what your intentions were when you end up doing those type of things right and it's still it's still just it's war crimes. Yeah. Yeah. And as as sad as it makes me feel to think people I've cared a lot about may fit in this category, I think the individual people, not just the leadership, not just the president, whatever, military officials, I think individual soldiers are also should be held accountable. Oh, yeah, for sure. There's no excuse. There, there's no excuse for what friends of mine did over there too. It's it's you know they all played a part. It's fucked. Yeah, yeah. I just yeah, I don't know whatever. In April of 2004, the infamous Abu Ghraib photos would go public worldwide. During the early stages of the Iraq War, members of the United States Army and CIA committed a series of human rights violations and war crimes against detainees in the Abu Ghraib prison in Iraq, including physical and sexual torture, rape, sodomy, and the killing of Mendel Alahamadi. I tried my best. <laughs> this was the first time the public could actually see what our torture programs looked like. America caught a glance of herself in the mirror, and no one liked what they saw. While the Abu Ghraib photos went public, the videos of Abu's torture would never see the light of day. During this time, the videotapes of Abu's torture sessions went missing. (laughs) Supposedly, CIA leadership had ordered the tapes to not be destroyed as the cover-up would only make matters worse. But allegedly, individual interrogators and Dr. Mitchell's boss, the guy who was contracted to hire him for the CIA, took it upon themselves to make sure that they would never be seen or potentially used as evidence against them. The tapes were destroyed out of fear for repercussions. No one wanted to be held accountable for something they all knew was so wrong. Obviously, that's so shitty that yeah. they were able to get away with destroying those. But, you know, fair play. I mean, if that was probably a smart call from their point of view. They never should have been able to have um, control over that shit to be able to destroy it in the first place. Right. But I can almost guarantee it was a smart move they got rid of them. Uh, when Dr. Mitchell was questioned about the missing tapes, he even said himself that he thought they should be destroyed because they were so ugly. No one was ever charged for destroying evidence. And also, I want to point out, like, Dr. Mitchell, he's he's angry when he's talked to now and he's interviewed in these documentaries and shit. He is very angry and bitter. He His point of view is that he did what the president told him. He did what the country needed to be done, and all these journalists and people questioning him need to get the fuck over it because he was the one protecting us. And right. he, my my take on that is that I I do think he's kind of understandably defensive, but he looks he looks 
overwhelmed by guilt to me. Yeah. He, he looks like he understands everything that happened, and he works very hard not to let the walls down and for people to see that. But he looks he looks tortured by what he did, too. Yeah. yeah he, 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 knows, he knows he fucked up. He knows he did some shitty shit. But if he leads with that, then he's admitting guilt. Yeah, and he can't do that. He's a patriot. Patriots, yeah. you know. <laughs> you can't do anything wrong if you do it in the name of the states. Right. That's that's the line. So Dr. Mitchell and multiple other interrogators, the CIA and FBI agents, as well as George Bush's staff, would go on to write their own books that outline their perspectives on the war on terror and their role in the torture. Many of these books made best-selling lists. That makes me sick. Yeah. The idea of James Mitchell, all these stupid fucks. Who the fuck's buying those books? Yeah. The fact that, okay, well, the, the other thing that makes it crazy is that, like, the way to get this information isn't through, like, it's not, it can't be, it's not just public knowledge that we can just get. It's, you have to go buy the book. But wait, wait, let me buy my expose. <laughs> let, me, let me make some, let me make some more money off of this. It's fucked. Due to public outrage following the release of the Abu Ghraib photos, the U.S. torture program is supposedly put to an end. Meanwhile, Abu would be transferred through multiple different black sites in various countries across the world. Eventually, Abu Zubaydah would be sent to Guantanamo Bay. The Guantanamo Bay detention camp is a United States military prison located within Guantanamo Bay Naval Base also referred to as Gitmo, on the coast of Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. During Abu's time at Guantanamo, various inquiries into the legality of Abu's treatment by the U.S. government were ongoing. Because the video sessions were destroyed, the only documented proof were heavily redacted transcripts, so Abu was asked to draw the things he experienced. This is where the art comes in. Yeah. He's in Gitmo. And he has two sets of lawyers, one from the military, and I think one was through, I'm not, I forget who the second one, but he's never charged with anything, right? But people right. are investigating the torture that happened. And when I we said there was no other evidence besides the transcripts, the unredacted transcripts prove everything. And there's both CIA agents, FBI agents, Dr. Mitchell, they all acknowledge what happened. There's right. There's no questioning the extent of the torture and what was done to him. It's it's all that's all on the table. But there's no visuals, right? And when right. from the torture mem- memos to the Abu Ghraib photos, the visual is what changes stuff. I for a long time I I had heard the um Abu Ghraib photo referred to as the torture Christ. The yeah. one where the man's in the the black pointed hood standing on a box being tortured in the, in the prison by US troops. That photo changed a lot. Yeah. The the visual is so fucking powerful. There there's photos every so often throughout history that change things, both socially, politically, whatever. And in this case of Abu's torture by the US government, that was missing. There was no, there was no photo to show. And the, the the other part is like, even when we were kids, like we talked about, like you hear it all the time, all over the place that like, oh, it's, you know, they're doing what they have to do and it's whatever. It's not that big of a deal, you know, <laughs> yeah. get, get them terrorists, you know. But then if you were to, if you were to sit anybody down, you know, for a 17 day viewing, a, just a, a 17 day video stretch of someone getting waterboarded repeatedly and then taken back to a cell where they slept in a box all cramped up naked and then brought back out and then waterboarded again and then like walled and you know just repeatedly tortured and you had to sit there and watch that it would change so many people's opinions yeah yeah like uh you know i'm my family is lebanese right i if I lived in the Middle East or in one of these countries and the, you know we have these extremists who are angry at the United States and they go off to bomb this country and then this 
country, the U.S., does the things that we did to my country, mm-hmm. there's no fucking way I would not want to be a terrorist, right? Like, we killed so many people. Yeah. Like, we gave them reasons to hate us. Every bomb just made martyrs. We we empowered them. We gave them valid reasons to hate us. Right. It's so sad. And so there, there's no there's no visuals of what happened. So Abu is approached and he's asked to draw these things. And they are powerful. They they're diagrams of torture. They're visual, basically step by steps designs of what was done to him. And he's not like um, you know, he was an artist as a young man, but he he wasn't like a highly trained artist. He wasn't particularly good. And the drawings aren't meant to be like beautiful pieces of art. They're meant to show what was done. And they're just so fucking powerful, man. Like there's one in particular that I know will stick with me the rest of my life. Like it's in top tier art for me for sure the it's really it's it is really powerful imagery and the like you said there is a a feel about it that's like you know angsty shit that you know a you know goth kid or whatever draws in their their art book but it's when you recognize that how how real it is how very you know it's it's a man telling a story of what happened to him and it's not like he's over exaggerating it. It's like it's documented that these things absolutely happened to him. Yeah. And these images are etched into his mind. Y- years later, when he when he's you know tasked to put it on paper, it's 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 despicable. Yeah, I would imagine, like he you know had permanent physical harm from the things that would happen, but I. I would have to imagine the psychological damage is much, much more long-lasting or, or harmful to to go through that. Where yeah. you're, you know, I was gonna say earlier, like the the being trained like a dog, like that is something where you have to retreat into yourself. It's not a weakness, right? You right. you retreat into yourself to. It has a form of self-defense to do yeah, to whatever yourself. Yeah. yeah, to do whatever you need to get through. But I think when I think being reduced to that kind of level, even if it's temporary, and you you can come back out of that. Yeah, the fact that you had to go there never leaves. Like that, that really can break a person long term. Yeah. The Bush White House remained steadfast in their denial of any knowledge of the CIA's actions, despite the memos categorically proving this to be untrue. Later, Obama would merely acknowledge that mistakes were made, yet he chose to protect those involved and would call them patriots. And I'd also like to add, it you know, Obama used a lot of fucking drones and then Trump continued up it and used more than anyone and we just have continued killing people ever since no one's ever been truly held accountable for the torture and i don't think it's a stretch to believe that it is likely still continuing today in our black sites or battlefields and i know a lot of people might hear that and feel like that's contentious but i i really don't i think it's the nature of of war and of human behavior it might not likely is not a policy by the U.S. government or CIA as a general thing, but it has to happen. Yeah. In in high-tension situations like that, people, they can lose themselves. Take it upon themselves to to do it when there is that level of stress, pressure to get the intel to stop a bomb damage. It I don't think it's a stretch to say that it yeah. is continuing. And I think one of the reasons this episode felt very important for me, I think just to express how I see these things or how I feel about them is that 
I, I think it is so important to recognize that if you live in the United States, this violence is being done in our name, right? This isn't right. like something we can be removed from. It's the reason I will always say I hate my country. And I don't necessarily think that we're like by an extreme magnitude any worse than most countries, right? Yeah, yeah we the, their actions speak louder than your words. Yeah, I, I just... I I just think it has to be acknowledged. I don't understand how people can feel such pride or patriotism when these things are done in our name. In my opinion, we live in the United States of torture, and it will never be any different. Within the last five years, the Guantanamo Bay prison still had a gift shop that sold shirts with jokes about torture. And Abu is being held in a special CIA unit titled Strawberry Fields because he will remain indefinitely detained there forever. That says everything. Yeah. That says everything. They have a cutesy little name for it. Yeah, it's funny to them. The I, I was going to mention the videos that, uh, fuck, it was WikiLeaks dropped of the, the helicopters gunning down civilians and in Iraq or whatever. These videos, there there's a lot of them too. These soldiers are laughing, right? They're right. they're killing entire families and and part of it's that they're so traumatized too, but this is like a common thing that is known, right? This isn't like we do what we have to do and it's sad. This is taking pride in killing people for the country they're doing what they're told and if they get caught and people are mad about it then you know they'll uh you know maybe they might get court-martialed and then maybe yeah yeah so abu has actually never been charged or tried with anything and no true legal laws bind him there he will never have any substantial contact with the outside world much less have a chance at freedom yeah Abu Zubaydah will remain languishing in Guantanamo Bay for the rest of his life. He is one of many of our forever prisoners. As of 2022, he has already been there for 20 years. Despite only having one eye and one good leg, it is said he keeps in good spirits. Torture doesn't work the way they thought it did. It only forces a person to do or say anything that will keep them alive a little bit longer. But that's irrelevant. When we look back at 9-11, I think it's fair to say that it was a successful attack against our country because it provoked us to abandon democracy and our ideals of justice and freedom. There is no them, only us. Mitchell was later reported to have personally waterboarded Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, who is believed that he is the mastermind behind the mastermind, quote-unquote, behind 9-11. Mm. Um, this is important information because in a lot of you know uh, statements he made, he said that he never personally was involved in it. He would be around to watch it happen, but most of the time he he says that he actually didn't do it himself. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, because he you know the God interrogator for Abu, it was he was playing the God of the the torture God, right? Like he wasn't the one going in, but he was the one pulling all the strings. And he kind of, when he speaks about it, like you said, he speaks about it as if he's a little bit removed or above what happened. Yeah. That's interesting that he personally was involved like that too. Yeah. In April, 2009, the CAA canceled the contract with Mitchell. The CIA agreed as part of the contract to provide legal cost for Mitchell of at least $5 million if necessary. The CIA inspector general concluded that there was no scientific reason to believe that the program Mitchell designed was medically safe or would produce reliable information. <laughs> Mitchell's identity in the interview program was made public by Vanity Fair in 2007 and further analyzed by the New York Times in 2009. In a 2014 interview with The Guardian, Mitchell defended the program and his role, but said that his ability to defend himself was curtailed as he could not speak on specifics due to a signed non-disclosure agreement with the government. 
Mitchell, who is retired and lives in Landa Lakes, Florida, spends his free time kayaking, rafting, and climbing now. Man, how convenient that non-disclosure, huh? Right. <laughs> Man, he, I really do think he is, if he is not already, will be a bitter old man filled yep. with regret. And I hope he either drowns to death or gets eaten by an alligator in his, his lovely swamps as he canoes. Hey, that's that's highly possible in Florida. I, I believe so. Fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're right at the end. And before we end to our outro, I'd like to read a quote from our honorable mention, Johnny Got His Gun, by Dalton Trumbo. Quote, put the guns into our hands and we will use them. Give us slogans, and we will turn them into realities. Sing the battle hymns, and we will take them up where you left off. Not one, not ten, not ten thousand, not a million, not ten millions, not a hundred millions, but a billion, two billion of us all the people of the world. We will have the slogans, and we will have the hymns, and we will have the guns, and we will use them, and we will live. Make no mistake of it, we will live. We will be alive, and we will walk, and talk, and eat, and sing, and laugh, and feel, and love, and bear our children in tranquility, in security, in decency, in peace. You plan the wars, you masters of men. Plan the wars and point the way, and we will point the guns. End quote. And I, I think the last, the last thing I want to say is, right or wrong, I will always stand with the tortured, never the torturers. Word on that. The end. <laughs> thanks, everyone, for listening. Yeah, thanks Thanks for bearing with us. It's a sad, yeah. important episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's things that, uh, things that had to be said, I feel like, and, you know, if, especially if things that we're looking at, it's like have we – I don't know. It's on our mind. It's our podcast. We can say what we want. So, and I, I feel like, um, you know, from here on out, when we make episodes about why our country sucks, it's not. Um, there's at least some reasons, or just it's not even justifications. It's just uh, an idea of why we think about this the way we do, and yeah. why I wish more people thought about it this way. You know, and part of it's. Um, you know, because we grew up with it being such a, a normal thing, you know, we are desens desensitized to it in a way. So, like, revisiting it and really taking a deeper look at it, I think, was important. Right. Um, like, that was our childhood, was these, you know, the adults around us or on the news or whatever, talking about these wars, talking about what we did to these people and why it was just and right, merciful, and why it made us such a great country. And I think, you know, a lot of our generation and those younger than us feel very different. And I, I think, I think there's, there's change coming too, but it is, you know, you, you tell us where to point the guns, we'll point them. It's the nature of humanity too. And I, yeah. I don't know. It is what it is. <sighs> Brutal shit. But. Like I said, th thanks again for everybody for listening. Yeah. Um, thank you to Approaching Human for the use of his music. You can find his work on SoundCloud at Approaching-Human. Thanks, John. Uh, make sure to check out the show page at Trash Cats Trash Cast on Instagram for news and art from the show. Check out Facebook for the memes. Uh, Facebook's pretty cool, guys. Yeah, I man. <laughs> <laughs> you, can, you can hit us up on uh, on either of those or our email to get uh, information on the Discord. Yep. Uh, join us in on that. Um, of course, if you're always bored, you can check out uh, <laughs> Steven's art on Instagram at Skyzix, S-K-Y-Z-I-C-X. Nailed it. Uh, tune in next Wednesday for our episode on some other cool shit, and I, I think that's going to be it, yeah? Yeah, that's going to be all for us today. Stay classy, eat trashy. Go fast, eat trash. Down falls tower two. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, so Audacity is not responding. Okay. And I also feel bad because I heard my stomach growl a few times. If you didn't hear it, we're probably fine. Oh, damn. 